Hi, and welcome to yet another fantastic episode of The Work. The Work is a podcast that my colleague Gina Kelly and I put together where we talk with tough questions and robust disagreements with the brightest minds in the HR tech and HR analytics industries. Today, we're going to be spending time with Ben Waver, who, if you've been following the show, has been a guest before. Ben is... um, one of the leading thinkers in a form of people analytics that has to do with the way that organizations work in their entirety. Ben is Ben is asking questions that are above and beyond what most people in people analytics think about because he looks at the entity of the organization. Uh, one of the things I'm learning more and more about each day is People actually don't get fired because they're bad at their jobs. People get fired because they operate in crummy systems. And uh, Ben's work has done an enormous amount of benefit for advancing the understanding that that people exist inside of systems and what happens in the system is as important as what happens to individuals. So I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this conversation, which we have as a seed crystal, the chat GPT question that we've been talking about but we'll see we'll see how long we can hang on to that (laughs) ben is is smiling so we'll see (laughs) all right ben how are you doing well no it's good to good to talk with you all again yeah yeah did i earn my fee Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Ben, you have an image at your company's website that I'm fascinated by, where you're looking at engagement, productivity, and adaptability. And then, of course, it goes deeper beyond that. Um, Mm -hmm. Could you just kind of give us some perspective on on how you view the world? Sure. So when I think about, I I mean, I guess I'll I'll focus in on work because maybe the world is even broader and. uh, you know, I don't think we have eight days to talk about this stuff, but you know, this idea behind, you know, behind work, and, and sort of John mentioned it earlier. This idea that I fundamentally think that when it comes to work, the individual is the wrong unit of analysis. Right now, we have to look at individuals for a variety of reasons. We pay individuals, we hire individuals. Like I understand that. At the same time because of the increasing complexity of the work that people pretty much in all industries do. I mean, I don't even care, um, you know, for people even, you know, in the quick service restaurant industry, like they're doing more complex things than they did a generation ago. And what that means is that it's collaboration between people that really yields, you know, the big results we care about. And so that means that looking at those dynamics is really what matters for looking at, you know, productivity, you know, retention, innovation, all these things. Right. And, Obviously, a lot of my work has been around, you know, the importance of data in trying to understand that, this idea that through work and through our lives now, I mean, maybe casting the net a bit more broadly, we generate so much information about what we do. And using that data, we can at least get um, a quantitative view on what we're doing and how work happens. Um, and I mean, I guess I, I would say the other thing about it is, you know, that over time, it's not just that I've come to appreciate the importance of that data. Um, I've also appreciated that, um, at least in work and in pretty much all of people's lives, we, we the importance of not just those underlying causes of outcomes, but the importance of luck and chance in driving outcomes and understanding how that interfaces with these things that we call causes is, I think, hugely important because understanding 
how big of a factor luck is in a lot of the things that happen at work and in our lives is hugely important because it could view help us view things in a different light, not by saying that, okay, do X and Y will happen, but saying, okay, if you do X, you know, 50 times, maybe this will happen 20 times, right? But that's a very different way of thinking about it. And I think it's very hard for people to think in that way for obvious reasons. Um, but again, that's that's a lot of what I've been, been thinking about more recently as well. So one of the things that that I'm running into is is because the work has changed, but our ideas about how to manage it haven't. Um, I'm starting to see a problem all over the place that that means that organizations have started as collaborative entities, and now it's just nonstop firefighting because because management can't define collaboration and the parameters of collaboration yeah. on an individual level. So everybody gets their fingers on everything. Yeah. And you end up with these sprawling meetings that have a whole bunch of people who don't have anything to do with the work because everybody is there in case a, a brick falls out of the sky and they have to catch it. it um, yeah. So, so what do you think about how management has to change to, to deal with this new environment? Well, I mean, what you said, I mean, it ties right into, I guess, what I was talking about. And this idea that um, the first question is what behaviors lead to the outcomes we want, right? And the idea that most people don't know what those factors are, right? And so what people default to, especially at work, is that in the past, I did something. And then, or I saw like this guy who I admire did something and then they were successful. And so we're just going to blindly copy that. Right. And so the issue is that I think most people, you know, first of all, they haven't gone through the exercise of actually defining what really matters right, when it comes to the outcomes we care. And again, that's work, right? That's a very different way of managing, of thinking about work than we did in the past, which was again, in the past, which again, is still obviously the dominant method, which is just copying successful companies and people. Like that's the dominant method, yeah. right? And the other part of it, again, is like the lack of appreciation for the importance of, of randomness, of luck, and of other factors that underlie the success of a thing. I mean, one example that now I've brought up um, in my MIT class more recently is I said, okay, and maybe this relates to ChatGPT in certain ways. All right. So Elon Musk has been very successful, right? By sort of many metrics. Um, does anyone think that if they just copied what he did, <laughs> they would be successful? <laughs> please, right? please don't. But, 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 so this is the idea, right? But people yeah. do that. Is the yeah. thing. That's exactly what people do. And, well, that's exactly what yeah. people. Yeah, and that that goes to the we've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. You know, when when you hear people yeah. say that when you come into an organization and you pose a new idea, and and you know your peer group says, "Oh no, we we don't like that. We do it this way. We've always done it this way." And and yeah. yeah. So, uh, but now change is constant. Change is 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 we, none of us can hold on to anything. We're on Mr. Toad's yes. wild ride here every day. Change is constant on the on the individual unit level, the team level, organizationally, but also, you know, uh, the world. There's, yeah. a, there's a war going on. There's, uh, you know, really significant economic fluctuations. I mean, how comfortable when you're looking at data 
and and you're talking about probability. I want to go to Vegas with you someday, Ben. But but <laughs> you know, if change is the constant, how how does data educate us in terms of what to expect next? Next. Uh, what a great question. Yeah. Well, so that's right. So at the very least. Right, the idea of being able to explicitly state our hypotheses about what is going to happen, the idea that even if it's backward looking to say in general in the past what is predicted outcomes, again, we don't even know that. To your point, does that mean guarantee it's going to be predictive in the future? It does not. And that's an important thing to know, which most people don't even like. I, I think we're still many, many years, unfortunately, away from people even sort of just totally internalizing that. But, you know, I, I, I think things are changing more quickly than they were in the past, but I don't, from my perspective, I don't see anything necessarily that is fundamentally different, like that we've reached a new, you know, order of magnitude level of complexity or speed. I think it just continues to increase over time. I think what that is exposed is just the shabbiness of the, you know, management methods and work methods Mm. that we use. And that in the past, you know, and again, really pre-pandemic, people would claim that they knew what you were do- they were doing, and most people would believe them, and that that's gone away because it's been shoved in people's faces too many times that for a lot of things, no one knows what they're doing. And so when people pretend now to say like, oh, I think we even talked about this last time, but like, I know coming to the office five days a week is going to make you more yeah. hard. No, you don't. You don't. No one knows that. Yeah. It is impossible to know if for a particular person, that's the case. You can't know, right? And people understand that at this point. So that has changed. Is the, the ability for me to railroad through certain changes without friction is lower now. And I do think that that's, I think it's healthy. Right. But I do think that the challenge is that the the organizational change is necessary to then make use of that. And again, to rapidly iterate to do these other things. I don't think they're there in the vast majority of companies yet. I wonder if um, part of what you just said is that the actual leverage that an individual has inside of an organization is increasing. Um, uh, because um, if you right in a world in a world where it's just a great big pile of cats crawling all over each other, um, if you make a firm stand about something, the pile of cats has to orient around you, right? And so that's that's a basic yeah. explanation of the system dynamics, right? That yeah. that 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 some sort of certainty in a position creates a flow that didn't exist before um, the certainty in the position. And that means that if you're an individual inside of a system and you say, I'm going to prioritize this thing and I'm going to say no to these other things, that that actually is what can cause localized change inside of the system. And that didn't used to be as true when benchmarking was super industrial. Probably. I don't I don't think I thought enough about this to have to have an informed opinion on it, honestly. Right. I mean, I guess what I I feel that the locus of power is more with the individual now because organizations as a whole have not come to grapple 
with the current reality. Not that they were not that they were actually acknowledging reality in the past, but they're just again as things keep accelerating, they're farther and farther behind of what is actually you know relevant. And so this idea that you as an individual or, or a person could you know through concerted effort actually start to you know uncover the things that matter and and it has more agency to make changes to run tests and it's going to be less scrutinized and again that you know to your point prioritizing things that's always good like the things like that that are always good um and so i think it's plausible that um people who take that approach are going to be more likely to um have more influence than they did in the past um again because these some of these structures are looser than they were previously. That's great. This is this is a rough segue to Chat GPT. I was going to say, yeah, I, I, okay. yeah, I want to hear what Ben has to say about Chat GPT. Um, so, so when, <laughs> yeah. when you were talking about using Elon as a benchmark, it yeah. made me realize that that Chat GPT is the ultimate benchmarking system, um, and that what you get with Chat GPT is an acceleration of the drive towards mediocrity that that benchmarking puts you that's, on that's not what i would call it um the best ex, the best description of chat gpt that i've ever heard is mansplaining as a service and i think that's <laughs> Ooh. Oh, but that's so <laughs> i love that though i love so that it's i'm borrowing that <laughs> it's credible it's confident yeah Sometimes it's right and sometimes it's not. And you have really no ability to discern if that's true, especially if you're not an expert in the topic. Um, and part of this is because um, these large language models um, don't have a concept of knowledge. Right? Now, essentially right. what they are um, is, you know, a most of or all of the text on the internet this has been fed into a model that basically trains essentially a next word completion system. Right. Like that's how it's trained. And again, it can do amazing things. So just to be clear, like it can do amazing things. But so that that doesn't have any concept of truth or knowledge. And I'm sure OpenAI and other folks have been working on long, large language models. Like they've put some other algorithms on front of it to try to detect certain things. But because of that, it really limits the usefulness of these large language models for tasks that like really matter, um, in my opinion, right? And that the idea of using them for, in my, like you can't use them for things where the truth matters. You can't, because there will be things in there that are that like are very hard to, for people to detect. The things that you can use it for, you know, again, if you're writing SEO content, if you're, you know, whether with chat GPT or maybe some of, or like, stable diffusion, some of these, you know, image generation programs, if you use them, like probably the best use I've seen of those tools is there was a, a, a somewhat short-lived, I guess, you know, meme online a few weeks ago of um, people using, I believe it was stable diffusion to turn um, old cartoons into eighties live action shows. Right. And it's hilarious. Like it looks great. Like, it, again, it looks a little bit weird, but it looks great. And it's funny. And that's it, right? But the truth doesn't matter in that case, right? And again, to like cast real actors to do that thing, there'd be a huge, you know, a, a huge effort. Doesn't matter in that case, you know. Um, so there's all sorts of issues like that. There's, I, I mean, 
it's very trivial for people who understand how large language models work. It's very trivial for you to get them to spout out garbage, right? Um, and I think we should all be very concerned about that because for people who are not critically looking at that output, um, it's going to cause some real problems because, again, just because of these fundamental limitations of the technology, like there are certain things you just cannot be done with this model. And it's unclear to me, a lot of the the folks in computer science who've been looking at, you know, feeding in more data again, but they've used almost all the data on the internet. So there's not 20 times more data to pull in. Right. Um, so you can't do that. The other thing is that just having more parameters, which the longer discussion about what, what those mean, it, it seems like we've reached a point where, you know, can we get better in like GPT four and some of these next models coming out, like probably a little bit, but it's marginal. And that's not the problem. Now, the problem now is not that they can't generate realistic text. They absolutely can. It's like Eliza on steroids. If you're familiar with the thing back from the fifties, like that's what this basically is. And so it's really unfortunate that OpenAI released this. I think it's tremendously irresponsible because they haven't put in any of these. There's not been nearly enough work on addressing these fundamental limitations. And you're going to see like a lot of problems come out that, um, again, could have been avoided if we were just like a lot more measured and careful with rolling these things out. So, so, I get that. I get that. And I probably wouldn't try to um, use chat GPT for the kinds of uses that you're talking about. But sure. in, in this little world of HR and HR technology, yeah, one of the big secrets is there's nothing here that actually matters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and so so there's a lot of there's a lot of administrative exercise that goes on that actually can make things better, but but you, the the kind of concern that you express doesn't matter if what you're doing is asking the system to generate the first draft of a job description, um, and and if you wanted to help companies in general deal with um, the world that they live in, you'd want to help them build a flexible job description system that blended into salary structures so that you could actually apply smart HR approaches to smaller organizations. And ChatGPT is fantastic for that. Well, okay. So there was, I forget who did it. There was someone who did a study of looking at for different job types. Um, ChatGPT will use gendered um, uh, pronouns um, for them in ways that you would expect. Again, because it's just trained right. on the internet, right? Right, right. So, so there's things like that, that again, you can imagine that if I have a generated two-page job description, you know, in an ideal world, would I look through it very closely? Yeah, but you're probably going to miss some stuff. And so that that could be very bad, um, number one. Where I, at the same time, I think where it could be useful in, in this is area you're talking about is not writing the first draft. I actually think that that's, I, I really don't like that. What I do like is you writing a job description and then it sort of, I don't want to say correcting it, but like improving it. Because that's much easier. 
for these language models to do. At that point, I have written down what is what I actually want and what is true. But you know, maybe I'm not like a great writer or anything. Fine. At that point, I put the I've put the facts down, and so that still saves me a lot of time. To be totally clear, like it does, and it might even be less time because you could probably spend a lot less effort crafting the whole job description to be like super specific and pretty. You could just you know you you hammer everything out, and then it it'll sort of update it and it'll look a lot better. I think that's plausible. I think that is also a good use of it. You know, when I guess when Microsoft you know incorporates this stuff into their into Word and stuff like that, that seems good. Um, and, and there have been people who have shown this sort of editing ability to be, to be quite good. Um, and so I like that. Um, again, I just, I have a real beef with generation when it's not for just things where the facts, I mean, absolutely don't matter. I don't mean like matter or less, like little, I mean, like literally don't matter. Um, yeah. I, I mean, again, and the other thing, which was interesting, you know, to sort of bring this up because, you know, some people pointed to there was uh, that thing. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where someone said, "Oh, Chat GPT like passed the bar exam." Um, I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, yes, first of all, it didn't yes. it didn't pass the bar exam? First of all, right? There's I believe six or seven parts of the bar exam. Um, the researchers who were doing it knew that it couldn't possibly do five of the parts, so they didn't test it on that. Um, and then one of the other parts would have been challenging for them to implement, so they only tested it on one of the parts. And in their own words, they admitted that it's basically a syntax test. It's not a test of legal knowledge because, again, it has no concept of knowledge. <clears throat> it's like apparently this section of the law exam is like the, it asks some very convoluted question and the actual exercise is for you to figure out what the real question is. And again, syntax, it's great at, right? Um, and so, again, even in these domains where maybe at first glance it looks like, wow, like that's something that's very impressive. And, and to be clear, nothing could do that before. Right. Like GPT-2 could not even pass that. So there clearly is, you know, significant improvement in these models. Um, but again, I think the way we apply it really, really matters. And I think, again, this idea of, you know, generation, you know, of text in particular is, you know, th there's, yeah, there's some significant, I think, ethical issues with it. Um that's inter that's interesting. I've been I've been testing. There are there are 20 or 30. Um, writing workflow models out there that that build on large language models, and um, so you you give the machine a summary. Yeah, it allows you to pick through titles. Uh, you pick a title, it gives you an outline. You edit the outline, and then from there it generates text. And what what I'm finding, I'm running some experiments with with um, teams of writers on this stuff, what I'm finding is it doesn't shorten anything to work that way, but it yeah. does make for higher quality output. Okay. Um, um, I mean, be, because there's yeah. a there's a rigor applied to the development process. Yes. Th that, yes. right, so it's not actually an artifact of the large language model, it's an artifact of the workflow that you get a better product out. And the, yes. the large language model is a an input to that process, but it's not the exclusive focus of the process. Yeah, but I, I guess what, what I would say is that those kind of tech, like sort of socio-technical systems like that, that is the correct way to think about these things, that what I worry about is these tools in isolation just blindly applied, you know, as as like the be-all, end-all, you know, like this this whole concept, for example, of like prompt engineering, like I can't, it it is 
so frustrating that that is a like that that is a thing that, that it is wrong to think of this as this tool that is separate from everything else and if we just sort of prompt it in the right way it's going to give us what we want i think what you were just saying is the idea that there is this structure that you put in about what you want and then within that again as you said it doesn't maybe it doesn't even take you less time but it's something that maybe without this tool you wouldn't have done in that way and it would have been worse quality and so you get a higher quality product absolutely right but i think most people are thinking of this as a tool that it's just going to automate so much of what we do and it's like we're just i i think that these kind of tools if you know deployed correctly can change what we do so we get a higher quality output as you're saying but that using them to just completely automate you know certain larger tasks is a really bad idea um, you know it's yeah. it's like you have a new research librarian but i think the, the what we're talking about here is is human behavior and potentially a yeah. crying need for something they can rely on that is a gold standard that is a one and done it's easy you know and and yeah i, I that that's that's where i think a lot of people yeah. have landed with chat gpt they think oh you know we we have an ideal solution now i mean i think that 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 is what's happened and a lot of times i mean this is what's interesting is that you know, people have been talking about this as as like a Google killer or something like that. But again, this technology and there's been really good research on this. It, it's it's just not very good for things like search or telling you what a real thing is. Again, because it doesn't have any concept of that, right? It has no like. There are some researchers. I know some folks at USC, for example, that are looking at trying to incorporate things like Wikipedia, like lookup into these models, which that's interesting, right? Like the idea that once a language model could flag that like this is a fact and acknowledging that it doesn't know facts and then using tools to look up those facts like that's interesting right and i think that it could be something we could rely on a lot more i think the issue is that it's going to be very hard for non-experts to discern when we've actually crossed that point that it's useful because already with chat gpt people are saying it's at that point and it's it's demonstrably not right um and it's also something that's a lot more incremental. Like I think what people aren't realizing is a lot of the big problems that still need to be solved, you know, in AI to get to that point. Um, we've been making, you know, steady progress, but it's not my impression. And obviously I could be wrong on this. My impression is that we're getting close to maxing out what these large language models can do. And then there's going to be a lot of other work that has to happen in the field to significantly improve these things, but that, I don't see a reason why that would move faster than before. And then that, again, can be many decades before we get, you know, to to something that is much more reliable. Um, and that's just just hard to think about. Yep. Yep. This will this will this will be the next self-driving car, I imagine, on, on some level. Uh, but there are so so I'm aware of a couple of experiments where people are taking the entirety of HR policy for 100,000 person organizations and putting it in a sandbox adjacent to um, ChatGPT and having ChatGPT mull through that and produce a Q&A for the entirety of the thing and getting useful answers out of it. Yeah, so... I, I I wish this was going to be video. <laughs> I know. Cringing. I just I, like, so again thinking of it as man mansplaining is a service. Does that mean it will always give you fake information? No, it, no, it will not. 
right? But it also, again, it's always confident in its answers. And so you might put in something that is a reason you think is a reasonable answer, looks correct, and you're not an expert in this thing. And it turns out it's totally wrong because again, it's just next word prediction, right? And particularly with parts of, for example, that HR policy that are not very long um, and not referenced very often, it will, it will fail. Like that's how these things work, right? It was actually funny. One of the ways you can break these models really easily and get like get them to give you garbage output is to have it like write an essay on some very niche topic, right? So one thing that I've I've, I've enjoyed doing is like I'll ask Chat GPT like write me an essay about my high school wrestling team, and which again like my high school wrestling team was so I was the captain of the team when I was when I was there and. It's pretty good, but it wasn't like it's not like a great program or anything. There's not a ton online about it, right? You know, there's some scattered news articles and stuff over the years, but it spits out this thing that sounds really good, but is literally 100% wrong like 100% wrong. But it, it looks like, <laughs> yeah, if I show yeah. this someone who didn't know my wrestling team, it they yeah. say, like that seems totally reasonable. And also, what's fascinating again, it's not, it's not shocking. Like, if you do it multiple times, it'll give you different, you know. Different. If I come back another day, it'll give me different answers, right? And it also looked like that. And so, you know, if you try to make first a Q&A tool like that, John, I think you sort of said it earlier, what I would highly, highly recommend is that then you need to have a person who then goes through it and who's going to have to correct all of those things. And whatever questions people can ask, they're going to have to ask. And you can't let people ask questions outside of that because it will hallucinate things possibly. And you just won't know. And that could cause people to do the wrong thing with real consequences, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's that's how I think about that. Yeah, so my, I have a question because I'm uh, the, the things that I'm grappling with as I'm listening to you is this, this um, false bravado that that chat GPT has that it, it yeah. and then the element of trust, like what you can really trust, yeah. what's what's truly uh, from a data integrity standpoint, what can we really trust? Um, what I'm hearing you say, though, this is like one data source. It, much the way if we went into a meeting and we were working on a project, there are six people in the room and those six people all bring their respective talents to the project. Does chat GPT become just another voice in the room? I don't think so. Um, I, I think that's a really, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, I think that one of the reasons pe people think, you know, tools like chat GPT are intelligent is because humans heavily associate language use with intelligence because the only things that humans know that use language are other humans. And so we say that's intelligent and it can do that very well. Right. And again, I think that it could be tools like this could be used again if like we're talking about like art development if you're you know like you're designing a show and you want to workshop some different backgrounds and then again you'd still need people to you know to to make new ones and things like that but i think for for those things is pretty interesting i think again if you're trying to you know think up ideas for a show or new scenes and it spits out something again i wouldn't think of it as it's not a person it's like another tool that you would use like mm -hmm. instead of just google it's like okay google and this it's not search, but it's like another thing. Like, and that's how I would think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of this though is glossing over the fact that, um, and legal experts will disagree on this, but arguably these models have been, you know, trained on a lot of essentially stolen content. And so it's also unclear if like this will be, there will be a Napster type moment in the next few years where this yeah. is down. 
Um, so we shall see. But um, we that's- we might have some serious ethics conversations too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know we're almost at time, but I think John might have another question to 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 ask. Well, well. So I just want to want to leave with this. For for many years, I supplemented my work with a tool called Idea Fisher, and Idea Fisher was a mm, late '80s, early '90s multi-dimensional thesaurus, and you could use Idea Fisher to generate ad copy, titles for things. Uh, names for companies. It was it was a wonderful tool, and and I went looking for it the other day, and um, it had a short life. It doesn't exist any longer. But my uses of ChatGPT are along the exact same yeah. lines, right? Yeah. Which is which is when I want to go bounce ideas. Yeah, this is a great place to bounce ideas. Um, um, it's it's a it's a it's not a great tennis partner, but if I need to play tennis in that way, if I need if I need something that requires collaborative development of ideas over time, and and I'm willing to continuously initiate the question cycle to do that, it's pretty awesome, really, to to have to have it. It's better than Idea Fisher ever was. Yeah, I mean, I think that for creative tasks like that, ironically, it's a lot more useful, right? Um, I would say when you're trying to get ideas again for things where like the facts matter, I I don't think it's good. And um, again, not that a single example, you know, is the be all end all, but it was just humorous for me where, um, you know, for because I'm like writing another book and I was trying to think of what what's an industry where the leading firms, like the two or three leading firms in that industry were all founded like at almost the exact same time, right? And, you know, first I, I put, at first I couldn't, Googling around for it, couldn't find anything good. So I was like, all right, this sort of seems like a thing that like it's, the meaning of it matters. It seems like a thing that like maybe ChatGPT, even if it gets it wrong, it would at least, again, give me some ideas, right? And what was really frustrating is, so first, again, it had normal biases and that when you say that, it first suggests a whole bunch of tech companies founded around the same time. They weren't actually founded around the same time, but I was like, all right, go before 1970, give me thing industries outside of tech that were, you know, before 1970. And it said that like Walmart, Target, and Kmart were all founded around the same time in the 60s. Um, and I was like, huh, that's, that's interesting. Like, that's a new idea. Um, and then I look it up and it's just totally false. Like Kmart, and Target, <laughs> like, so Kmart and Target were founded in like the 1890s. They actually oh, were wow. close at the same time, but Walmart is founded in the 60s. And so you're yeah. like, that, that's not helpful. And right. so it, it cost me time rather than just like doing that. So, you know, I was trying to brainstorm, but where the truth mattered. I think that if I was trying to brainstorm things where the truth didn't matter, I do think it'd be very useful. And that's, I would highly recommend people use tools like that. Wow. Well, aren't you glad you didn't include that information in a PowerPoint presentation that you then got up and at a conference and presented? Oh, you know, you know that's going to happen. You know that's going to happen. I, I think we're in uh, the yes. question everything mode. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are at time today, Ben. Thank you so much for being our guest again on the Work Podcast. Would you remind our audience as to how they can get in touch with you? 
yeah, so you can, you know, look me up. I'm, you know, B Weber on Mastodon or I'm on LinkedIn and we're at, you know, for my company, it's humanizehumanyze.com. Excellent. Thank you. Well, this is the Work Podcast and I'm your co-host, Gina Killey with John Sumser. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode.